Praise God. How many know that we live in a beautiful city? Amen. We are, we are blessed and fortunate to be part of the city of Charlotte, North Carolina. I was, I was laughing at the map there because that's about right. I think there are about a thousand churches in Mecklenburg County. And there's 70 of us that agreed together that for a period of about four weeks, we were going to do something called a unified sermon series. So representing about 41,000 people sitting in churches across Charlotte this morning, uh, we agreed we're going to talk about some things that we think are critical and, and, and not just critical, but necessary for the church to be what God called us to be. So I want to encourage you this morning to open your Bibles to John, the Gospel, John chapter 17 is where we're going to spend our time together. And just this morning to say welcome. Good to see you guys. We survived the hurricane, right? And uh, in Charlotte, that was just like a big rainstorm. But how many know across our state, there was some amazing devastation? Do you understand that? It's, uh, it's, it's not like that uh, we can just make jokes about it here because there are a lot of our friends and family that are really struggling right now across part of our state. And we're going to be praying for them at the end of the service and giving you a way to get involved in that. But you know, last Sunday was going to be our 10th, well, it was our 10th anniversary, whether we got to meet or not. And we had some great plans for you, man. We were going to feed you well. We were going to go out to the park, have some great games and all that. But we would have needed flippers and snorkels so that would have happened. We had to cancel, and uh, we'll, we'll make that up down the road. But uh, even this morning, we were trying to do something a little different uh, on the songs. How many enjoyed the songs this morning, the worship uh, time together? We, last week, we had a, a schedule of songs lined out that represented every place hope had met in our history. So we had songs that were dating back to the, uh, to the movie theater. How many of you remember the movie theater? Anybody here today that was part of the movie theater? A few of us. There you go. We had the instance of popcorn. We had, uh, we had sticky floors and rats. It was an awesome way to start a church. And then we traded that for Mallow Creek Elementary School, and we just changed our incense from popcorn to jello. And it was wonderful. It smelled like jello every time we gathered. And uh, we had a great time at Mallow Creek Elementary. Then we moved to the high school. And at the high school, uh, our worship leader uh, was named Mitch. How many remember Mitch? Mitch was an awesome guy. But Mitch loved 10,000 Reasons, and we sang it about 10,000 times, right, Mel? And my, my staff knows this morning we sang that song only for me this morning, because the rest of them were like, do not sing that song anymore. But I think it's a good song, don't you? So we, we sang 10,000 Reasons. And then that was Dane's big face up on the, uh, on the screen this morning. Dane Shope was an intern with us back in the early days. And just a phenomenal guy. Loves the Lord. And, and I think they filmed that out on Crowder's Mountain. But we just want to give you a little taste of our background. Because, you know, guys, we say this on every one of our anniversaries. So we've said it 10 times. Hope Church exists because God sovereignly wants us to exist. Because we can give you 10,000 reasons why we should not exist if, you, if you, we get back into our history and our journey together. But God has worked in us and through us, and you're part of that today. And we just thank you for, for honoring God by being here on a, on a Sunday to worship him and to participate in, in what I think is a very important sermon series, especially in the topic today, because what we're going to talk about today is a topic that, as pastors, we don't like talking about. In fact, you, you can ask my wife, I, rarely do I finish a sermon on Saturday, okay? Usually they're finished by about Wednesday. God just gives me the word. I'm there. I like getting ahead on things uh, so my team and the graphics can be all ready. I have struggled this week to talk about this one topic because when you teach on this topic, everybody always thinks there must be something wrong because we're talking today about unity in the body of Christ. And can I tell you this morning, we're not teaching it because there's something wrong at Hope Church, but can I tell you there is something wrong in the church across the land and across our city and across the world. There is a great need of unity 
in the body of Christ today. And there's a very important reason, and that's what we're going to look at today in the Scripture. So I hope you'll follow along. If you have your tablet or your phone, you can look on version, and on there you will see, um, you'll see our notes under events. Bottom line, how many of you love the church? Let me just see your hands this morning. I'm not asking you if you love hope. I'm just like, do you love the church? I love the church. I love being part of the church. I've had the privilege of traveling around the world and speaking in some cool places and sitting through song service like this, not having a clue what in the world they were singing because it was like in Malayalam or it was in a, a different language. But I could, I could sit there and say, God is in this place because the church has gathered and we have worshiped him and he is blessing us with his presence. I love the church. I love this church. There's, I think that would be a good reason to say that. As a pastor, we kind of started this thing. But I, I, I love Hope Church because we, we, we set out from the very beginning to say that we wanted to offer real hope to real people in a, that live in a real world. So what we're saying is we're a bunch of people that come together, not a single one of us trying to be perfect or saying we're perfect, but we're coming under one reason. We have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have a commonality that makes us one. And we're going to understand this morning why that's important into our lives. But, you know, when we use the word church, for a lot of people, it, it conjures up a lot of different memories and different thoughts. At our very first interest meeting at Hope, we were at the Hampton Inn over by uh, the racetrack, and 15 people showed up to hear about this new church on a cold night in January. And I did the past thing. I'm walking around shaking hands. Oh, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. And then I grab a guy's hand, looks at me, and goes, I don't know why I'm here. I hate church. And I'm like, well, I hope you came for the donuts then. I don't know. But I, I, fortunately, God gave me an answer. I said, well, you know what? I think the Lord hates a lot of things that church has become, but he doesn't hate the church. And I'm glad you're here. He ended up playing bass for us back when we started the church and all that helped us get going and all that. But there's a lot of people that talk about church. They really have this imagery that is so different than what Scripture teaches. In fact, if you think about it, the, the first church, the early church back in the first century, would not look anything like the church looks like today. They didn't have buildings. They didn't focus on liturgy or, or rows, or do you have a band, or do you have a choir? They, there were no Bibles. There were no banners. They were simply a gathering of people that came together over one truth. They came together over the one truth that Jesus Christ was the risen son of the living God, and that was enough. That was enough. It was enough for them to radically change their lives, which ultimately radically changed our world, which you and I now are blessed because of people that came together over one truth, and that was that Jesus Christ is risen. You see, back then you couldn't go to church because you were the church. There wasn't a place, there wasn't a location to show up. They met from house to house. They shared everything they had. It was this amazing picture because they had a simple mission in mind, and that was to do one thing, and that was to create followers of Jesus Christ and to make him known because he's the only one that can change lives. But can I tell you, if you haven't noticed, things have changed a lot since the first century, haven't they? In fact, there's so many changes about the church today, it's hard to even recognize sometimes what the church is anymore. We, 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 are, we look at it and we, we're so thankful for it, but there's times that we see its beauty and there's other times we go, what in the world were we thinking? I mean, I grew up in church. I, I have to just be, admit, I, I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. I, that was before children's church days, so we had to learn how to sit quietly through sermons we didn't understand. And um, I, I, I loved my church. It was a fun church. It was kind of wild and crazy church. I loved it all the time until I was going to invite one of my friends or pre-Denise girlfriends to my church. Because I could guarantee you that day, Sister Tambourine Lady was going to show up that morning. And she was going to dominate the service with that tambourine like it was like amped up like you would not believe. Because after all, it was all about her. Forget the rest of us. 
And we wondered what we're doing as a church. There are times I'm very proud to be part of the church. There's times I'm not. When I, when I look at what we've done culturally over the years and over the centuries, or we get divided over politics or race or, or even, even things we talk about even today where, where there's been abuse issues in the church, and it must grieve God's heart. But it doesn't grieve his heart any more than the guy that drives around our, our neighborhood with, the, with all the Christian bumper stickers and wears the latest witness. We're like, body piercing, save my soul. And, and yet goes online and hates and spews hate toward anybody that doesn't agree with him. And we wonder why the world says, I don't know if I have anything I want to do with this church. Yet with all of its faults, with all of its wrinkles, can I tell you something? Jesus Christ said, and he still said, and it's still true today, he said, I will build my church in the gates of what? Gates of hell. You can talk in church here, it's okay. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. In fact, he said that it would be through the church that the world would know who he was and experience what he came to do. Now, understand we use the word church this morning, okay? Let's go all Professor Mike for a second. There's the Big C Church, which is the church international that is everywhere. It doesn't matter if it's in Togo or if it's in India or if it's in Chinkapin, North Carolina. And then there's the Little C Church, which is us. We are a local representation of the body of Christ. God wants to use the uniqueness of us to reveal the uniqueness of him into a unique community, and that's what he's called us to do. So really in that little video we saw there, there's thousand churches, but really there's one because the Lord said it is through a unified church that his power would be displayed. Check it out, John 17, beginning in verse 20. This is a prayer of Jesus. Can you just picture that? Here is Jesus, the, the Son of God, speaking to his Father in a, in a prayer. He says, he says my, my, my prayer, this is right before he was going to go to the cross, okay? So it wasn't like, Lord, get me out of here. He's like, no, my prayer is not for them alone, speaking of those that were near him, his disciples. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Perfect picture of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they were one. He said, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that our hearts would be open, God. God, that you are speaking to us God, individually, God, but you're also speaking to us as a, as a body and across the city, God. You're speaking to us today, God, of the power that is displayed, God, when we come together around the one thing that makes us complete, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, your, your son crucified, risen from the grave, Lord, today, saving souls, God. So, Lord, I pray, God, today that, Lord, we would open our hearts to this teaching, open our minds, God, and let us be changed, God, forevermore. I pray this in Christ's name, and everyone said... You can speak in church. Good. All right. You look at this scripture, and, and, and it says something that, that really catches you off guard. It says that the greatest declaration of the gospel, we spoke about the gospel too, he said, the greatest declaration of the truth of the fact that Jesus Christ came as the son of the living God, gave his life on a cross for us, rose from the grave on the third day, he said the greatest revelation of that, it will be experienced in this world when it sees the unified body of Christ when it sees the church unified around what it means to be part of his family. He, he see, you see here in this prayer a promise that he, that he made. He said, look, when the world sees the church being one, then they'll know that Jesus was the Son of God. 
Because you can't explain it outside of that. How in the world can people of different languages, backgrounds, traditions, cultures come together and actually function as one unless it was a supernatural thing taking place? Because we know ourselves. We, we know too well our human tendencies of, of, of bigotry and, and hatred and, and, and distrust. And, and yet if the world would see the church come together and be one, then truly they could see that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. But also they would see the Father's love for us and his love for his son. It changes everything. And that's why we've got to wrestle with this topic this morning. I, I, I really, <laughs> Denise should stand up and testify. I've been a bear this week. I'll be very honest about it. Because some of y'all know this, but in my, in my role, I also, not just Pastor Hope Church, I'm responsible for about 36 churches in the Charlotte region, but I oversee five of them in particular. And one of them, I've spent pretty much the entire week dealing with an issue of disunity among the leadership of that church. And can I tell you, it'll suck the life out of you. It, it, will, it, will, it will take your soul down and just crush it because you know the beauty of what can happen. We walk together as one, but you also know the destructiveness when somebody decides it's all about them and not about him. So understand this morning, I may preach about this a little more passionately than I would otherwise because I understand something. God said he will shine through the church, but everything in this world fights against that. That's why Paul, the apostle in Ephesians chapter 4, was speaking to the early church at Ephesus. And he made a point and a statement about unity that we've got to get a hold of this morning. He said, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, for there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And I just want to say amen, even though we didn't write it in there. Because that's the truth. So be it. That there's one God. He has brought us through one baptism, one Father, and He's brought us to be one together. Because here's what makes us one. Every one of us who've received Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, every one of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ, we have been brought into a family that we didn't choose. We've been brought into a family that literally is represented all around this world. And we've been made brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And because of that, Paul is able to say, make every effort, put this high on your agenda. Make sure everybody understands that we are for the church and we are not against the church. Even though we are uniquely different and we are represented by thousands of cultures and, and speak multiple languages and have different traditions, the most important thing about the church is what we have in common, what, not what is different about us. I love when people come and visit Hope because they've attended a Hope church somewhere else around the nation. And not knowing how churches get named, they all think we're the same, right? And they're like, oh, I went to Hope Church at Houston. You're part of that, right? My answer is always the same thing. Same team, different uniforms. We are the same, but we're, we're, not the, we're not the same. We're different individual expressions, but yet we also share a name together. Why? Because God has called us. He's called us not to lay down our uniquenesses, but he's called us to focus on what unifies us because through the cross, people of every nation, tongue, and tribe become members of one body. We celebrate our differences, but sadly can I tell you, it's also our differences that lead us into disunity quite often. It is through our differences that sometimes we go down a path that doesn't honor God. I mean, sometimes we struggle over silly things like traditions and translations. You know, well, in church I grew up in, pastor, they took communion out of a gold communion set. Well, God bless them. We couldn't afford when we started, so we do it this way. That's the only reason we do it this way. It works logistically. 
You know, I, I crack up every time I drive to Asheville to see our son because we drive down 74 up through Shelby. And I'm a church sign person. Anybody a church sign person? I get angry at church signs. It's, it's really a problem. I get angry at church signs, especially when it's like July and they're saying, Happy Easter. I'm like, well, you're really a church is on and got a clue there. But there's one church on the way up there. Their one identifying factor is we are the church that preaches the King James Version of the Bible. And I'm thinking, God bless you that you reach all the people that speak in King's English and love that. Nothing wrong with the King James Bible, but guess what? There are other translations that we actually speak in our modern language. But we get hung up on these things. We get, we get hung up over, over things like style and substance, fog or no fog, lights or no lights, band or no band. I was cracking up at Chad's group this morning because I, I, I'm also a billboard watcher. I used to travel a lot in my ministry and up and down 85. There's one church, their number one advertisement is, we are not your grandma's church. And I'm like, well, great, because no grandma's going to go there anyway. But you know what? God said that we should have every generation represented in the body of Christ because the younger will teach the older and the older will teach the younger. There's, there's something we all have to offer to each other. There, 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 there is one. I'm going I'm, I'm to share a lot of insight this morning in the church. The church is crazy. <laughs> just, just think about it. It's, it's us. So it's naturally crazy. We do stupid stuff. I, again, one of the churches overseas, I love him to death. He's finally gotten over this. He's doing great. But early in the early beginnings of his church, it was a church, I won't even name the city because you may go look it up, but his number one marketing scheme was this, and forgive me, parents, our church doesn't suck. That was his marketing scheme. It was on billboards. It was on handouts. And I was like, oh, dude. I got in the car, drove up there, sat down with him, and said, let me ask you something. I said, you know my wife. Oh, yeah, I know Miss, I've known this kid since he was 12. Oh, yeah, I know Mr. Denise. He knew her from kids' church back in the day. What do you think I would do if you, if you told me my, that Denise was ugly? He says, what? I said, I'd beat the stuffing out of you and repent later, buddy. I said, your marketing campaign just told every other church in town that they are ugly. And you told Jesus the bride of Christ sucks. He pulled that campaign pretty quick. But that's the, that's the stuff we don't think about because Jesus said, let them be one, not let them be the only one. But yet we've taken our culture and made it that way. We get in arguments over who is good enough to even belong to the church. Can I tell you at Hope, we promoted from the very beginning, you can belong long before you believe. You don't have to believe to walk through that door. We just want you to belong and, and get to know us, get to know people and re recognize that Christians aren't crazy unless they do marketing campaigns like that. And, uh, and we actually do love Jesus and we love each other. I had the best, uh, I had the best thing come across uh, on our Facebook post last week. How many of y'all, uh, did y'all even bother to look out the video that we posted last Sunday? How many, how many actually saw that? I had like this little clump of hair back here. It was awesome. Um, it was a video of our very first service at, at the movie theater, and ironically, it was, uh, it, was, it was talking about finding God in the middle of the storm, so it was kind of ironic of the timing of that. But on there, a young lady posted something, and let me just give a little backstory. She was the manager of the coffee shop that we started in. And as we were doing our planning meetings, getting to know people and just working there, we got to know her, and obviously, she was very overt and very outspoken about the fact that God was nowhere in her life and that she was living a lifestyle God didn't approve of. And over time, by just getting to know us, she realized we weren't weird people, and, and we talked to her so much that one day she sat down and says, I just want to know, is there any way I can help when you start the church? 
And I said, well, you serve coffee for a living. We're serving coffee. Why don't you come serve coffee on our first Sunday? So that's who was serving coffee on our first Sunday. She went on Facebook this week, remembered the video, and she wrote this. She said, I remember hearing that message and thinking that is absolutely not true. It is impossible. It doesn't happen. But I really want that. And she goes, now I know it is absolutely true. And God is with me always. And he loves me. Why? Because she could belong long before she believed. And God got a hold of her life, and she's serving the Lord in a great way today, and we just love her to death. Why? Because we don't want to set that barrier. But we struggle with this kind of stuff. We, we also struggle with unity just to the fact that we are humans, and we, we tick each other off a lot. We, we disappoint each other. We, we let each other down. We're, we're unique people, and sometimes that's hard to bring unity in the uniqueness. Can my married people say amen this morning? Because that's what we do, isn't it? We take two very unique individuals and say, now, build a life together. Well, without God, that's impossible. In the same way, it's impossible without God to have unity even in the body of Christ. So that's why Jesus prayed, Father, make them one. Now, why is that, why is that so important? Go, go back to John 17. I want to take a word this morning and just kind of let you, let you understand a little better, just like we did with Hosanna a while ago. There's a lot of, a lot of church words we use that we never explain. And, and I want to explain the word glory. It's found in John chapter 17, verse 22. This is part of Jesus' prayer. He said, Lord, I, Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Now, in our understanding of glory, what we're saying is, what we'd read it as is, God, I've given them the fame that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. But that's not really what glory totally means. In fact, so much, I want to put this on the screen so you can read it. The glory of God is, is really, when you get into the, the language of that word, the Greek language, the glory of God is the substance of who God is. It's his greatness, his majesty, his splendor, his, his excellence, his power, his anointing, his fame, his authority, his riches. It's all that makes God who he is. That is what his glory is. So when we make statements like, do it all for the glory of God or make his name great, what we're saying is, we want the substance of God to be made known in us and through us. And that's exactly what Jesus prayed. He said, Lord, let them be one because, Lord, I gave them the glory. I gave them the anointing. I gave them the authority. I gave them your power, God, that will work through them if, if, if they walk in unity. You see, he wants us as his church to be known by God's presence. He wants us to be known by his glory, his power, his love. But that only comes when we choose to do the very things he's called us to do, and that is to love each other the way he loves us. Because God and his kingdom operate by love. And when someone asks, well, well, who is God? What is God? God said in his own word, he said, God is love. That's the best understanding of who he is. He loved us enough that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for us. He loved us enough to create us and give us this world to, to walk in and to know him because, again, he is love. In fact, the greatest commandment of all the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest is to love whom? Love your neighbor as you love whom? Yourself. And we do, just as the people did in the Bible, we say, well, who's my neighbor? Because we want to we find out who we don't have to love. And <laughs> Jesus made it very clear, you've got to love everybody. If you're going to honor God and be one with him, then you've got to learn to love everybody, no matter how different we are. Because if you want his presence, gang, listen, if you want his presence, that's where his power is. 
That's when you're praying over your relationship or your future, your career, or your friendships or whatever. And you're saying, God, I need you. What you're saying is, Lord, I need your presence because in your presence, God, that's where your power is. I, I, need, to, I need to know that power. If we want that in our lives, then we've got to pursue the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness that brings unity among us. You can't be hating on anybody and walk in unity. You, you can't be holding something against somebody and walk in unity. You can't be thinking you're better than somebody and walk in unity because in doing that, you're saying you really aren't worthy of being loved. Because you see, unity finds its foundation in love. We are one with God. We are one with each other. And when we want God's presence, then we find that presence in unity. Let me, let me give you an example. It's a great scripture. Go ahead and turn to Matthew's gospel. This is something that if you don't already know or memorize, you might want to memorize the scripture. Uh, but it's Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 Verses 19 through 20. 20 is very familiar verse. A lot of people, uh, it, it's, one that, uh, it's one that pastors quote a lot when there's not a lot of people at the meetings they're hosting. Because it says, for where two or three gather my name, there I am with them. And we're like, yes, God is here. There's only two of us, but God is here. That was early in the days of hope. Uh, but here's where it was found couched in. So beginning verse 19, he said, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, It'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather my name, there I am with them. Now, one of the words in that scripture is incredibly important for us to understand how unity works, okay? And that's the word agree. That's a word that we think we understand and we do in most contexts, but there's something about that word agree that I want you to really get in your spirit this morning. I don't usually do a Greek teaching at Hope, but I think there's times you need to see where words come from. And that word agree means a whole lot more than just, okay, if we agree that we want, we want Johnny healed, then that's gonna happen. we can agree on the goal of prayer. No, the, the agreement is much bigger than just the goal of prayer because agree comes from the Greek word sumphaneo, which, which you take the two roots of it, sum being together, phaneo meaning to sound. So in other words, it says to agree means to sound together, to be in accord, to be in harmony. It, it's where we get our word symphony. How, how many people have ever been to a symphony and actually enjoyed it? Some of y'all need to get out more often. It's a beautiful thing when you can take all this discord that can be created by all these instruments and all these various keys, and somehow they get on the same page together in unity, and a sound comes out that will stir your soul. Now, how many of you have ever been to a sixth grade band concert? How many of you ever participated in a sixth grade band concert? God bless our parents. Amen. We're like, the time we go, we're like, I had no idea. I'm sorry. Because the farthest thing from unity is the sixth grade band concert. Because they all are unique in their instrumentation. But guess what? They're still focusing on me, not we. So they get off key. They do their own thing. And we're just like, dear God, let it finish so we can go home. And tell little Susie it was awesome. Parents lie a lot. They really do. God help us. But that's the difference between agreement is symphony. It's all together making one note as powerful versus middle school band. It's just a mess. But to agree together in prayer means that if we're going to be one, if we're going to have that one voice, that one note, that one instrumentation, then we have to understand that it's, it's not just about our goal in prayer. It's about how we relate to each other. I've taught you how to study the Bible, and, and you know the, the word context. And that is that when you read a scripture like these, you can't 
pull it out and, and make it your own. You've got to read what's around that. And if you take time to do that later day in, in Matthew's gospel, right before that promise about prayer and agreement, it speaks about how do we confront sin? And how do we restore, brother? Because if I love you enough and I see you in sin and I see sin destroying your life, I love you enough, I need to stop and, and just pull that view aside and say, let's talk. If I don't love you, I'm like, go on ahead. See what happens. Yeah, when you're crushed, then, then, then call us. No, love says I'm going to intervene because I love you enough to say you're valuable, so I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And then following that scripture, following that promise, the, the verses talk all about forgiveness. Because forgiveness or unforgiveness is one of the greatest enemies of unity there is we, we cannot say we love god and hate our brother can't do it jesus said when you come to pray and yet you've got unforgiveness towards somebody else guess what you need to stop praying and go make it right he said because i forgave you of everything so how can you hold anything against somebody else so if we want unity, if we want to walk in unity, then we've got to learn to walk in love, choosing to forgive so that the presence of God may be known in us. It, there's no, it's, it's not an unusual thought that when we read in Acts chapter 2 about the, really the beginning of the church and the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, it was interesting that the Bible makes it clear. It says they were, they were all together in one accord in one place. And what he was saying was there were a group of people just like us they came together on one thing, that Jesus Christ was the risen Savior, and they, they were in agreement that they were in community with each other, and God pours his spirit out, and the church is birthed in that moment. Why? Because they had a unity of purpose. They had a unity in worship. They had a unity in relationship. They loved each other, so much so the Bible says in Acts that they were sharing whatever they had. Someone in need here, right, let me help you. There, there was this mutual community that was taking place. Why? Because they valued each other. I love all the descriptions in the Word of God of, of how we are described. We're, we're called the temple of God. We are living stones, according to 1 Peter, that are fit together, that, that, that God just envelops and God, God just comes in. In, in. in Ephesians, we are the bride of Christ, as I was sharing earlier, which is always a unique, mysterious kind of thought. But in 1 Corinthians, we're called the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, there's this great analogy about how that each and single one of us are equally valuable in God's kingdom. There, there's no room for superstars in God's kingdom. We are all equally valuable. Yet we've all been created differently with different tasks and different gifts, and we're supposed to exercise those. But at the end of the day, can I tell you, there's not a cooler neighborhood for evangelists and pastors than there are for everybody else. We're all the same. We're just all fulfilling our unique callings. But at the end of that, section in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says something that really speaks of the unity of this body. And that is 1 Corinthians 12 verse 26. He says, it reminds us that when we work together, then unity flows. He said, if one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. He's saying, look, if we suffer, we suffer collectively. We come around each other. We help each other. But if we rejoice, then, then we rejoice together because after all, we, we win together. We're going to rejoice today. We, we have a new baby boy at Hope Church who was born last week. We're going to rejoice with Keisha and Nick because Braxton Nicholas High came onto this earth this week. We can rejoice in that. But we also suffer with each other. When somebody goes through something, we don't go, oh, guess they deserved it. Or someone disappears and we go, oh, too bad. No. Why? Because we walk in this love for each other that brings this unity so that God's power and God's presence can be known. So, so let's answer a couple questions here, and we're going to wrap this up today. So, so what keeps the church from being unified? 
What, what keeps us from being unified? I want to speak to our, our Western culture today. I'm going to speak to Charlotte's culture. Because how many know that Charlotte's culture is different than a lot of other culture around North Carolina? Can I get an amen to that? We are a little different. So how is it that we sometimes struggle with unity? I really think it's simply this. Our culture has somehow made the church into something that is designed to please us more than to please God. I really believe that. I believe we created this culture of the church to be something more about pleasing us than pleasing God. Simply put, we get the, we get the me way out in front of the we because we are together and it's not always just about me. You know, we have lost sight of something. We've lost sight of this beautiful mystery of the church. How God can you take these uniquely different people that it wouldn't make sense they'd even get along, but they come together and there's this unity of love that just flows out of them. But instead of rejoicing over the unity of the church, we compare ourselves with each other and continue to seek out experiences that satisfy, satisfy our souls, but leave our spirits wanting so much more. We wonder where the power's gone. We've cheapened something sacred, and quite honestly, we need to repent. My hope is in the 70 churches today that the, the collective at the end of the day is like, oh God, we're sorry. Because when we see how important unity is to you, God, we ought to make it more important to us than it is. I believe that this unity in the church as a whole, and especially in the local body, really comes out of four hearts that are represented, unfortunately, anytime we gather together. And there are four hearts we have to really be careful of aren't found in us. And the first one this morning is, is we got to be aware of the fact that, that we, we can't come to be part of the body of Christ if we have a competitive heart. How many know that Charlotte's a competitive city? We are a bunch of climbers in Charlotte. We, we, we are going to do better. We will prove it to you that we are better. And we are certainly better than Atlanta. God bless you. Come on. Except last week. But we have these competitive hearts. Well, our church is better than their church. we got better music. Oh, our Google review says we have better coffee. They really get the smoke and the haze right at their church. It's a cool place. You know what? If people come to church because they love us, but they don't know Jesus, God forbid. God forbid. But a competitive heart is always looking around, trying to bring others down so that they look better. I, I, I was so shocked. I mean, early in ministry, you know, I, I was a naive child when I came into ministry. I really was. I grew up in a godly household and in a crazy church, but they kind of got along and uh, good parents and met, the, met this one over here when she was 12, I was 15. You know, life was good. And I go into ministry and I found out that people can be mean. Didn't know that. And leadership in churches can really be messed up. Because when Denise and I went to, sounds terrible, candidates, how we do it, for First Assembly of God in Waco, Texas, uh, that evening after they interview me, the, the head deacon puts me in his car, drove a nice car, and, and they said, let me, let me show you something. And we drive all through the streets of Waco, which looks nothing like fixer-uppers. So let me tell you, that is not even a close to what Waco looked like back then. Uh, he drives me out, and he pulls up in the parking lot of a church. And I'm like, what are we doing here? He goes, I just want you to see your competition. It's amazing I've ever pastored any church because I never can keep my mouth shut. I was like, what? That's my brother in Christ. I know that guy. And that church is a unique expression of God's church. And we love it. We're for them. We're not against them. And we're never going to be them. So I don't know why you even did this. And they still hired me to be their pastor. Didn't work out so well. 
But it's just competitive hearts. There's a second heart God really doesn't like, and that's a complaining heart. God hates complaining hearts. They complain against his church, his leaders, his people. Can I, can I tell you something? If you see something in, in the church that you don't like, and it's not a sin issue, give it to God, pray about it, and let God work through it. If it's a sin issue, address it. That's how we get priest abuse scandals when nobody addresses it. That's a sin issue. That's not a preference issue. But when we start complaining over things like, well, I don't like the color of their auditorium, get a life. It's gray. God bless you. You know, that's why, you know, we're not exactly interior designers. Uh, God doesn't like complaining heart. There's a, and this leads to the third one, and we all have it. Some better. It is not a spiritual gift, by the way. And that is a critical heart. But you know where a critical heart comes from? It's our culture. My goodness. Drive through McDonald's and get a Big Mac today. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to send you a survey tomorrow. How'd you like the Big Mac? It was McDonald's. What do you think? I was desperate, okay? And my heart and my arteries are fighting me right now because I was desperate and came by your establishment. Is that what you want me to say on the survey? I mean, but that's our culture right now. Aren't you? You're surveyed over everything, right? It would be, if we did the natural thing today, I'd be waiting at the door of the survey going, hey, would you please fill out this survey when you're gone? And I really need you to give me a 10, okay? Because God's going to be mad if I don't get a 10 today. That's how our culture is. So we think we can criticize anything. We can criticize government without even thinking. We criticize church, we criticize leaders, we criticize parents, educational institutions. Why? It's in our nature. And God says, you want unity? You need to lose that heart. Because so often we're criticizing things that are works in progress. God is not done yet. And we've got to give room for him to go. I'm going to start preaching in a moment here. Come on, church. Your opinion's your opinion. We all have opinions. You just don't need to hear mine all the time. And I don't need to hear yours. We need to hear the truth of the gospel. Because that makes us one. And then finally, this is the last heart that cannot be in a, in a place where there is unity. And that is a disrespectful heart. We are a disrespectful nation. We are a disrespectful culture. We think nothing of slandering anyone and everyone in authority. And it's wrong. And God will judge us on that. The Bible says we're to pray for those in authority over us. The Bible says we're to lift up their hands. We're supposed to come underneath them because what they're doing is greater than them. Sometimes they do it poorly, but it doesn't give us the right just to slam on them. And can I tell you, church, we've got to get better than that. That's why in 1 Corinthians 1.10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thoughts. I'm one of those people that I grew up in church. I just did. It was, it was in my family's culture. I think I, my first church service, my mom told me I think I was five days old. You know, that was pre-nursery days even. I mean, it was church was inside of us. So I understood church, man. There was Sunday school and there was big church and there was Sunday night prayer and Holy Spirit service. Woo then there was a Wednesday night Bible study and kids programs and Thursday night choir practice. That was your week. The theory of church back then is we're gonna keep you so busy you just have no time for sun. That was it. But the problem with that was we got very good at doing church. We just forgot how to be the church. To actually love the sinner, to actually reach out to the broken, to actually to offer hope to those who are hopeless. 
So to have unity, what I learned is we have to remember what we're about to begin with. I, I love Max Licato. I was reading his book last week, The Eye of the Storm, because that was a, I used the story of that in my first sermon for hope. And in there he has a chapter that is so true, and it's simply titled, When Fishermen Don't Fish, They Fight. And it's so true. In any organization, when you lose your mission, what do you do? You turn on yourselves. It's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a football team that keeps getting beat every week. Every once in a while, they start fighting with each other because they've lost their mission. And it's no different in the body of Christ. So what is our mission? What do we do? What does it mean to be the church? Three things, and we're going to pray, and you're going to say, thank you, God, and we're going home, all right? Three things. The first one is this. We are called to be a ministry unto God. We are called to be a ministry unto God. Our first and highest thing we do is we offer up praise and honor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When we gather, we gather to, to bless Him. We gather to praise Him. We gather to, to rejoice in Him because we've been shaped by His Word. Over the centuries, the Psalms have told us that God delights in the praises of His people. We've even told how to praise. That we're to lift up a joyful noise to the Lord. It's okay to raise a hand. Even if you are Baptist or you're Pentecostal, you can raise it higher. It doesn't matter. We are to come and we are to worship the God who gave us life and who saved us by his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we start the services here at Hope with praise and worship, with singing and prayer. I've got a word for us today. It is not a concert for you and I. That's why many of you show up late. You hadn't figured that out. It's not about you. Do you think we get up here to entertain? I wish I had a little platform I got a little higher on today. Do you think I dream of entertaining you? God forbid, put me on a street corner. I'll preach the word of God to people that need to hear the word of God. God forbid our musicians practice all week so they can come to entertain you. No, we've come to lead you into the presence of God. But when you don't value it, how can we have unity in worship, which brings the presence of God that changes our lives forever? You amen, show up next week on time. This is not a cultural thing. It's a lazy thing. It's not. Come on. Your, your boss is your God because you don't show up late to work. But we don't come to worship God. Something's wrong with that. The psalmist wrote, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Can I tell you, there is no more powerful setting than when people are in unity coming together to worship and pray and express their love to God because when they do, the word says God is enthroned in the midst of them and his power, his glory is made known in our lives. So some of you come dragging in here because you need God to touch your life. But one of the most important things you can do is you can come to magnify God and not magnify your problems and God will take care of your problems. It's priority. I will seek you first, God. I will put you first above all. And when I do that, God, then you provide everything else. You see, I choose to magnify God more than my problems. I choose to praise him, to put my trust in him, because I've learned over time he is someone I can trust. But if we are to be a church of unity, then we are a church that ministers to God. The second thing we do is we minister to each other. I, I, I love this. I love when we pray for each other. I love when we have communion together. If you hadn't figured out, I love preaching. I love teaching the word of God because it's a mystery. In fact, the Bible even calls it foolishness. But yet through the foolishness of preaching, he uses the word of God to confound the wise. And all across the world today, people are sitting in gatherings in different time zones, and they're listening to someone proclaim the truth of God's word because the word of God is the only thing that can change someone's life. 
And the most amazing thing to me is God is a customizing God. <laughs> he, he knows exactly where we are in our journeys, and he can take whatever I'm speaking on, whatever the truth I'm bringing out, and he can bring it in a relatable way to exactly what you're going through, which is different than what someone else is going through, because he loves you that much. So we're to minister to believers. There's, there's a reason that we minister to our kids. We do not babysit our kids. We teach them the word of God in kids' ministry. Why? Because they are old enough to know and understand that God is who he said he is. So we worship together. We gather together. We minister to one another. And as we do that, then we minister to our community and to our world. Listen, it's an honor to be part of God's church. It is a privilege when we gather there's something that happens because when we, when we gather together, we get close, we can scatter the rest of the week, and we can be the church in our schools, in our, in our workplace, in our homes, wherever we are. We live near to God so we can be sent to those who are far from him so that they may know also the love that Jesus has for them just as much as he has love for us. You see, when we know our mission, we know our purpose, it's much easier to walk in unity. Because now we care enough to actually care for each other. Because we can't minister to each other if we're not unified. Because to be unified means I love you enough to walk through your mess with you. To be unified means I love you enough to celebrate with you. And to rejoice even when you do better. One of the things I love is the, the churches I oversee. They're all younger guys. I've helped counsel and coach over the years. And every one of them is far exceeding things that I've ever done in ministry. I, I get the biggest kick out of like, man, that is stinking awesome. I never thought about what you guys can do. It's like a parent seeing your kid prosper. And you're like, man, way to go. And can you imagine how God feels towards us when we actually love each other enough to care enough to even confront and love each other? Listen, gang, when we, when we get that right, then we minister in our community, minister in our world, and God has called us to be progressive and aggressive such that we are literally rescuing people from a hellish eternity apart from God. We're unified and we understand our purpose. Then the glory of God is seen in us. And I've got to believe Jesus smiles because he's like, God, you've answered my prayer. Guys, God wants us to be one. We are not in competition with any other local body of Christ. God has called us to serve together, to work together. He's called us to reach people uniquely differently. And it's okay. There are churches that teach differently than we do. They sing differently than we do. They, they may even believe a few things different than we do, but we agree one thing. Salvation is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. It is through grace we are saved through faith, not of works that any man should boast. Now, if that is not our centerpiece, then that's not a church. And we have to deal with that. But our central place is our central place. So I believe this morning as we pray together, in a moment we come and celebrate communion together, what we're saying is, God, we want to be in unity. And God, we want to be in unity not only here, but across the land, across this world. Because God, we don't want to just do church. God, we want to be the church. And decide that, uh, that our God is able to reveal his glory through us.